As Frank has already said, for you folks who are guests with us today, we welcome you. We're glad that you chose to worship with us. And we have been in uh, uh, an extremely long study. We have been studying the book of Revelation. And uh, as you can see at the top of your study sheet, this is our 106th shot at this book. And we're still a long way from being done. We're in Revelation chapter 14, where it's dealing with a very unique group of people, a group of people that's going to surface on this planet, what I believe in the very near future, in, in the tribulation period, a group of people that's called the 144,000. And that's, that's where we are in Revelation chapter 14. We've done a lot of doctrinal talking about this group of people. We've learned a lot of theological truth uh, about them, but we have been hung up since I, I checked today. It, it goes all the way back to May when we got held up with this group because they are such an incredible group of people that there are some things that we can learn from this group of people that is so unique to God and, and so what God is, is looking for. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to glean some things. Now, most of you have probably many times, in fact, heard that the Bible is really a, a road map for life. How many of you heard that? Okay. We, we use that illustration uh, a lot. But, and and we, we understand that. You know, God's given us, you know, the details about where he's going and all of that kind of a deal. But one of the mistakes that we make when we come to God's roadmap for life is when we're, when we're just dealing with a, a regular roadmap, you open that thing, and you, let's say you want to go to Los Angeles, California. I don't know why you'd ever want to go there, but let's just say that you wanted to. Okay? And so you're going to go, go to Los Angeles, California. You're going to look for the route. Now, what's the very first thing you got to do? Somebody? <laughs> what, what, what do you got to do? You, you got to find out where you are on that map. You got the map in your hand. You want to go to Los Angeles. The first thing you got to do is say, okay, where am I? Now, the problem we have when we come to the Bible is nobody ever stops before they go to God's roadmap and ask the simple question, okay, now where are we? Where am I right now in the whole scheme of things? And buddy, I'm telling you, we're living at a time right now to where if you miss that question, when you go to this roadmap, you'll miss a whole lot of what you need to get because we are living in a period of time right now that is outlined for us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Now, for those of you who are guests, this is something that you, we're going to take just a minute to, to just kind of dial you in, bring you up to speed with where we've been in this study, but listen real carefully because we don't have a lot of time to spend on this part. But you need to know where you are right now, where we are in the whole scheme of things as far as the way that God is looking at the world. Okay, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what God does is he writes seven letters to seven churches that really existed in Asia Minor around 95 A.D. or so. And when he writes these letters, he's addressing real-life situations, real problems, real things that were going on in those very real churches. But placed into the context of the whole of the book of Revelation, those two, uh, two chapters and those seven letters that make up those two chapters are very, very key to our understanding where we are right now because what those seven letters represent are seven periods of church history that basically pick up where the book of Acts leaves off. That's the history book 
in the New Testament. And the book of Acts comes to a conclusion, and it's almost like, well, there you have it. But God picks up in the seven letters to the seven churches to outline for you, through those letters, the rest of the history that is going to take you all the way up to the rapture of the church, which coincidentally enough is found as soon as that letter to the Laodiceans is concluded. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John was a picture of the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. He hears a trumpet, heaven opens, and a voice says, come up hither, and bam! He comes into the presence of God. It's the same exact thing that's spelled out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. The rapture of the church. And so God brings us through those seven periods of church history. But what is so important for you to understand is that where we are right now and the whole scheme of where God is and where God's going is we are living right now in the very last days of that seventh and last period of church history. The Laodicean church period. And you need to know something about what God says about the Christianity that he looks at from heaven and looks at as he looks down into this period of time that we're presently living in. What Jesus says as he outlines that for us in Revelation chapter 3 is he says, you guys think you got it all together. And you think you know so much. And you're absolutely clueless. He says, while you think spiritually you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, he says, I look down and what I'm seeing is that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, he says that we're lukewarm. You know what he means by that? We're too cold to be hot and too hot to be cold. We're just a wishy-washy, sickening, stomach-turning, lukewarm to God. We're, we're too far in to be out and too far out to be in. We're just always in Laodicea. You know what? We're always just at the threshold of something. Have you ever seen that? We're always just about ready to turn a corner in our spiritual life. It's just that we never seem to get where it is that we say that we're growing. We're just always at the threshold. We're too far down to be up, too far up to be down. We're in Laodicea. You know where we are? We're just floating in limbo spiritually. That, that's what God is trying to get us to see through the terminology that he uses. Now, we don't want the world to label, label us fanatical or radical, but at the same time, we don't want to be labeled liberal by the church. You see, we like this little area to where we're lukewarm. But you see, we don't call it lukewarm. We call it the balanced Christian life. And God says, while you hold that up as some great feat, yes, I've finally arrived. I'm living the balanced Christian life now, brother. God says, I look at that and it makes me want to barf. It makes me sick at my stomach. I, I want to spew you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. Now, now listen, for you to really understand where you are in the whole scheme of things and all the things that God's wanting you to understand about your life, you, you better figure out where you are. Where you are is Laodicea, and it ain't a pretty sight. But man, I'm telling you, once we're out of here, 
God is going to pull out a group of people on this planet, the 144,000. We get the number because Revelation 7 tells us there's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're all Jews. And anybody that's trying to make themselves one of that number in this dispensation, number one, has a problem. And the people that always do it are always people who ain't Jews anyway, right? Just ask them, what tribe are you from anyway? You know, they've got no answer for that. Okay, but this group of people, man, when you see them, what they do on this planet, man, they do the job right. In Revelation chapter 7, every time that there is something that needs to be done, this group of people is there to do it. When somebody needs to be evangelized, bam, I mean, they're there. They go literally into all the world, and they win so many people to Christ that it comes from every tongue and tribe and kindred and people and nation. They're all around the throne because of the ministry of that group, the 144,000. And when we see them in Revelation chapter 14, where we are right now, God has already taken them now up into heaven. And what we've been hung up on is that little phrase in the middle of verse 4 where it says, These are they, check this out, which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And for those of you that haven't been with us, it, it's, we've been hung up on that for, what, what is this, is this 19 weeks right now, just on that little phrase, if you will. I know that probably seems crazy to you, but listen, when you understand where we are in Laodicea, and you understand that the key problem that we have in Laodicea is that we don't know how to follow the Lamb. That's the bottom line issue. That is our problem in Laodicea. We don't know how to follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Though we can all quote very, very meticulously the passage where Jesus says, Now if any man will come after me, there's two pre pre easy for you to say, two prerequisites. Number one, you must, say it with me, deny yourself. And number two, you must take up your cross and follow me. Now I want somebody to help me. Okay? Now, don't, don't say this one out loud. Somebody raise your hand. Okay? We've got lots of singles in this area, lots of high school here. Y'all, don't be nervous. Okay? We, we talked about the fact that in, <clears throat> in this whole thing of following, that if a prerequisite is denying yourself, understanding where we are in Laodicea, there's something that's going to really work against us when we try to do this thing of denying ourselves. What, what is it that the Bible tells us about those of us living in Laodicea that makes it extremely difficult for us to deny ourselves. Somebody, raise your hand. What's up, my brother? Some of you folks in the balcony, you balcony people probably couldn't hear that. What he said is, the Bible says that in the last days, these are going to be perilous times. And the reason that they're so perilous is because the chief and foremost characteristic of this period of time is that, as he says, men shall be lovers of their own selves. And Jesus says, now listen, if you want to follow me, first prerequisite, deny yourself. And the plain, simple truth is, you cannot love yourself and deny yourself at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. There's something else that makes this thing of taking up our cross extremely difficult. 
that God reveals to us that's characteristic about this period of time? And what is it that makes it so difficult for us to take up our cross? Somebody? Yes. We are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. We love pleasure more than we love God. And here comes that same truth again. You cannot take up your cross and follow him and love pleasure more than you do God. Because that cross is a cross where we're bearing the instrument of our own execution. It is an instrument of suffering. It's an instrument of pain. It's an instrument of death. And what we've been trying to do over the last several months now is just look at this whole thing because, to be quite honest with you, in Laodicea, we just have the thing so distorted. And we've been talking about what it really means when he says to take up your cross and follow him. What does that really mean? How do, I, how do I really get that into the, the practice of my life? And you can see on your sheet, we, we've talked about the reconciliation of the cross, and we've talked about the explanation of the cross. And, and what we, we've begun to understand is that there's actually two operations of the cross, okay? The, the cross where Jesus died is a cross where I come to, at the point of, of salvation. Somebody declares to me the gospel. And I come to this cross where Jesus died to receive eternal life. But what he says is when I come, I'm to take up my cross. And what we find is when we come to his cross to receive the eternal life that he offers to us through that cross, that cross becomes our cross. And not only is that a place where Jesus died, it's a place where what? Where I die. And I don't die so that I can have eternal life. I die on that cross so that I can have abundant life. And here we are in Laodicea, man. And we are stiff-arming the cross. Oh yeah, we want salvation. We just don't want to take up our cross because, oh my goodness, how fun is that? You see, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, and what we don't realize is that this cross that our Lord is inviting us to take up as we follow Him is the place where life is really found and while we're holding tenaciously onto our life because we want to be happy. The place where true joy is found is in the death of this cross. And as long as we're over here holding on to life and saying, Oh, I don't want to, oh God, I want to be happy. But I, as long as we're holding on to this, we can't have that. And the strange thing about it is that is what we think we're holding on to here. We think we're living abundant Are you living abundant life? Barf me, man. It's got to get better than this, doesn't it? And so we've, we've been talking about how, how do we really get to the place to where that cross has become our cross and I'm dying. That death that the Lord invited me to die 
as he told me to take up my cross and, and follow him. And so what we, what we came to last week is that if I'm actually going to experience that whole thing of his dying and his burial and the power of his resurrection in my life, I'm going to have to do the same thing that Jesus did that brought him to die on that cross and caused him to be buried and to be able to experience resurrection life. And what we saw is that in Philippians chapter 2, what it was that brought him to that place is that he, he did something that's real difficult for Laodiceans to do. You remember what it is? Say it with me. He humbled himself. And we saw that if we're really going to take up our cross and experience this thing, number one, we've got to get honest with God. And then number two, we've got to humble ourselves before God. And I gave you a definition last week of what, what true biblical humility actually is. It, it, it was on your study sheet at one point, and it got raptured out of there. I don't know how, but... But just, just get it in your minds, those of you that weren't here, those of you that, that were here, just to kind of remind you of where we were. Humility is possessing such a complete awareness and such a comprehension that God is all, that He is everything, that I'm brought to absolute and total nothingness before Him. He is all, and I am absolutely Nothing, And because I'm absolutely nothing, I'm brought to the place to where I abandon self and self-will. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical humility. We, we began to look at four reasons that we're to humble ourselves before God. And the first reason is what? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. You know what? Y'all, y'all, y'all. We don't have time for y'all to be going, I wonder if somebody else is going to raise their hand. You know what? Well, you all know this, don't you? Okay. Okay. The first reason that we humble ourselves is because of sin. I am humble because I'm a sinner. And we look at the example of Isaiah, man. He comes into the presence of God. We're talking about holy, righteous, prophet of God, Isaiah. He comes in. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And as soon as he sees the Lord for who he is... He sees himself for who he is, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm just telling you, when you get to the place to where you see God for who he is, and you come into his presence, the first thing that you're going to be faced with is the fact that you are a man of unclean lips, a man of unclean thoughts, a man of unclean actions, a man of unclean motives. I mean, and the list goes on, doesn't it? Sin, it, it humbles me. I'm brought to the place recognizing that here is the holy God and here am I. I'm brought to ask the same question that the Gadarene maniac asked. What have I to do with thee, Jesus? But then we saw that there's another reason that we humble ourselves. And it's not just because of sin. In fact, we saw that there's something that humbles us even more than our sin, if you can imagine that. And what it is that humbles us more than sin is, is what? Again? It's grace. You know what? You know what? You know what humbles me more than my condition before God as a sinner? My position before Him as a saint. I humble myself 
because I'm a saint. Here I am. I know I'm a sinner. But in my position, I stand in the presence of God with no sin on my account. And because of that, man, I, I humble myself. And we saw in Revelation chapter 5, when sin has totally been removed and when sin is no longer an issue and no longer even a possibility for us, what we found in Revelation chapter 5 is when we come before Him, once we've been raptured, and again, sin is out of the picture, we fall on our face before Him because He is the Redeemer, because He is the one that lavished that grace upon us. And so we ask the question that Ruth asked in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10. We ask, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me? And we are humbled on our face before Him because of sin, because of grace. And then the third reason, big word, what's, what's the third reason, Mike? Because of sovereignty. I am humbled before God for the simple fact of who He is. He is the creator of all things. I'm humble before Him because I am a creature. Man, listen, if sin was never in the issue, and if grace would have never been necessary, we would be humble before God because we are creatures, and He is the creator. He is the holy, omnipotent, most high creator God, and in His presence, I don't care who you are, how bad you think you are, how wonderful you think you are, you ain't jack in the presence of a holy creator God. So sovereignty brings us to the place of humility. And I ask the question that David asked in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. Oh, he says, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, your creation, in other words, I ask the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? All the power that you have, and why would you ever be mindful of me? And then there's a fourth reason, and we saw that we are humble before God. This one may be a little more difficult. Yes, ma'am. Conformity. The, the fourth reason that we are humble before God is conformity. I'm humble because I am a, a disciple of Christ. And what he's promised me as his disciple in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, listen to it. What he's promised me is that he has predetermined, he has predestined that I will be conformed into his image. You know what that's saying? That God is making me like Christ. And you know why I'm humble? Because Christ, in his very nature, the very essence of his being, his character, his attribute is that he is humble. You know why he's humble? Because he's humble. Because that's who he is. And he's making me like him. And so as his disciple, I'm brought to a place of humility because he's magnified me to make me like him. And that's what Job said in Job chapter 7. In verse 17, he says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? And it's a, it's a paradox, isn't it? He magnifies us. You know how he magnifies us, y'all? Because he's conforming us into his image. Can you imagine anything in the world any better than that? Anything greater that God could do for you than make you like His Son? I'm, I'm talking, that's magnification, isn't it? And in magnifying us, 
He makes us humble. Because that's what Christ is. Discipleship is the watchword in this church. It's the big gig. But you know what? Our, the call on our life is we are to present a life that is like the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to our disciples. I just wonder, in all the discipleship that's going on, and all the relationships that's going on in this church, I just wonder, how many people are discipling their disciple to be humble? And I want to ask you something, and this is... We're going we're gonna to hurt just a little bit together, but I want you to be honest with me. How many of you learned something last week about humility? You learned a different dimension about humility last week than, than you'd ever seen before. Would you raise your hand? Okay, I, and I'll just tell you, I, I did. You know, somebody told me uh, last week, you know, man, I thought you guys knew all, all that stuff, and I thought you just kind of, you know, you know what, man, I told you, we, we tell you everything we know every week, you know? I can just tell you, everything that's coming is, is what I learned this week. I mean, we've been together so long now, I don't know anything new, okay? And we all learned some things last week. And now I want to ask you, what did you do with what God gave you last week? What, what, I, what I'm asking you is... Did anywhere in this week, did you find yourself coming before God? Desiring to just humble yourself? To come into His presence and so see Him in the fullness of all that He is to where you were humbled and you came into His presence and you saw, you saw your sin? And it humbled you on your face before God and you confessed your sin and as soon as you confessed it, you were humbled because of that incredible grace. And being brought to understand the reality of His grace, did it even enter your mind this week that had sin never entered the picture, had grace never been necessary? I'd be humble before you, God, just because of who you are. And oh God, I so desire... To be like you, I want you to, to do this in me. I want to know the power of your resurrection. And I understand, Lord, that first to know that power, I've got to die just like you do. And I want to be like you. And I know, I know when I get into heaven, I know I'm going to be like you then, but I'm just wanting you to, I'm wanting you to do all that down here now so that I can experience the fullness and the joy and the life that you promised down here. I'm asking you. I'm not, I'm not saying, did you say those words this week? I'm just asking you. Did you find yourself at that place this week? And this is the fear that I have. And this is that Laodicean deal that you've got to be so careful about. Is we're all in here last week, buddy. We're... Oh. And oh man, we love to hear, don't we? Man, we love truth. Oh. Ever learning, 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the last stage, y'all. And, and, and I'm just real concerned that we might be at a place to where we're drinking up all of this stuff and we're learning about what it means to take up your cross and yet God will, bam, throw something into our path like last week. We will not die on that cross and be buried and know the power of his resurrection unless we do the same thing that Jesus did. Unless we humble ourselves. And while we've all got it on our study sheets, I just wonder how much of it got into our life this week. We've got to be real careful that we don't become like the person that James was talking about in James chapter 1 and verse 22. And why don't we cruise over there? And we're in trouble as far as time, y'all. James chapter 1 and verse 22, and, and you know what, wherever we get is, is going to be fine because the issue here, y'all, is we want to know what this Christian life thing is all about. I, I don't know about you, but the reason I'm here today is not because this is what we do on Sunday. The reason I'm here today is because, man, I know I am a Laodicean I think I'm better than I am, and of all things that I better get into my life, I better learn how to humble myself, because Jesus said in Luke, or Revelation chapter 3, my problem is, I think I'm better than what I am. And, and so, I, 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 better, I better, when God's doing something, I, I better make sure that I'm not falling into the trap of what James says here in, in verse 22 of chapter 1. He says, but be ye doers of the word... And not hearers only. Why? Okay, well, what's going to happen to you if you hear without doing? What he says here is you end up deceiving yourself. Now, I want you to listen real carefully. One of the greatest problems that we face in these Laodicean days, one of the greatest problems we face is people who take the Word of God and are using the Word of God to deceive people. What it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, way back in the middle of the first century, Paul writing to Timothy said this. He said that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, listen, deceiving and being deceived. There were a lot of them back there in Paul's day when he's writing to Timothy and he says, you know what, it ain't going to get any better. In fact, it's only going to get worse and worse. And by the end time, buddy, they're going to be absolutely everywhere. And in the last several years, to protect you from the deception of these false teachers, man, we have, we have labored in this book, and we, we've tried to do everything that we can to prepare you doctrinally to not be deceived by the false winds of doctrine that are blowing at hurricane force out there. Most of you are at the place right now to where doctrinally, you're not going to get blown. You're, you're pretty well equipped against that. But there's another potential deceiver that, to be quite honest with you, we really haven't labored as long to protect you against. And it's a potential deceiver that you face every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. And it ain't me and it ain't Frank. You know who it is? It's you. In your study sheet, put me. So that when you look back over this, you're not thinking about somebody else. 
What God says here is that if you hear the word of God and you don't do what you hear, he says it'll cause you to deceive yourself. You say, you know, I don't think I I fully understand what that means. Let let me give you this quote from A.W. Tozer because I really think that this capsulizes the point. Tozer said, the curse of the 20th century church is that we think that because we know something, we therefore have it. And isn't that the truth? You see, a lot of Laodiceans think that because they know about salvation, they think that they're saved. Because as Laodiceans, we, because we know about the spirit-filled life, we think we're spirit-filled. And because we know about what it is to be humble, we think we're humble. Because we know what it is to take up your cross, we think we're carrying it. And the fact is, folks, nothing could be further from the truth because what he's trying to get us to see here in James chapter 1 and verse 22 is that it's not enough to know. God wants us to act on what we've heard. He wants us to do it. He wants us to obey it. And, And folks, now listen, when we get exposed to truth and we don't obey it, what he's trying to get us to see is it causes all kinds of problems. It causes confusion. It causes us to experience spiritual blindness. It causes us to deceive ourselves. We get to the place, you know, because we, we listen and because we fill out our study sheets so diligently. And I don't want to dog that, man. I, I'm blessed by how you guys want to, to get the, the truth. But we get to the place around here that, oh, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, done that. Yeah, you know what? I got that in my notebook. I went to a seminar on that. Yeah, I've heard another sermon on that before. Uh, yeah, you know, I've studied that passage. In fact, you know what? I, I've even taught that passage. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only because if you listen to the word of God and don't obey it, you don't do it, he says you end up deceiving yourself into thinking that you got something that you ain't got. And the problem with that is when you think you got something that you ain't got, you never get what you ain't got. You know why? You think you got it. And so you don't look for it. You know what happens to you? It's spiritual inoculation. You get inoculated from ever getting the disease. And you know what happens to Laodiceans? We think that because our store of biblical knowledge has increased, we think that that means that we're more spiritual. And folks, listen. What James is trying to get us to see, that ain't the way it works. Listen. We only grow in the Word, and we only become more spiritually mature when we personally appropriate and assimilate into our lives what we read or hear from this book. When it gets into our lives, y'all, that's when we've grown. Laodiceans think, I know this, so I'm spiritual. I know this, so I'm grown. No, what he's trying to get us to see is when we assimilate it, when we appropriate what we read and hear from this book into our lives, that's when we grow. In fact, you know what? The, the principle of Scripture is that when in our lives there isn't increasing conformity of heart and life to God's Word, you, you know what the principle of Scripture is, y'all? Increased knowledge is only going to bring increased accountability. And, and the principle is, is maybe even a little stronger than that. It, it brings increased judgment. Jesus said in Luke 12, 47, he said, And that servant, and listen to it, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, will be beaten with many stripes. And, and uh, now listen, I, I'm not trying to, 
I'm trying to show you a principle. I'm not trying to say that if you're in Christ and, you know, you don't do, you know, this deal, you're going to be beaten with many stripes in eternity or some kind of thing like that. No, I'm just trying to get you to see that knowing what to do and not doing it is something that God doesn't take very lightly. It's very important to him. He asks us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, he says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, li listen, words off of our lips isn't what he's looking for, and Laodiceans are real good about saying, Lord, Lord. Oh, we love to sing it, and we pray it, and we say it, and all of that stuff. And Jesus is saying, listen, that, that, that sounds all well and good, but I'm not looking for what you're saying. What, what I'm looking for is, are you taking and putting into practice the things that you read, the things that you hear from this book into your life? And you've got to watch, because as Laodiceans, man, it's real easy for us to come in here week after week, plop down in the pew, Sunday morning, Sunday night, diligently fill out the study sheet, faithfully give our offering every week, sing, oh, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, and yet go home the, the same person that we've been for the last five years and never really get jolted about the fact that we never change. We just get fatter and fatter in our heads. And Jesus says, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Why is it now, okay, that you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I'm showing you that I want you to do? And that's what James is saying here in verse 22. And look at verse 23. He says, For any, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now, the way we'd say that today, it's like a man who sees a reflection of himself in a mirror. Okay? For he beholdeth himself, verse 24, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And the point is this. He's saying, you know what, what this whole thing is like? It's like this guy that wakes up. Okay, it's you. Okay, me and you. We wake up on Sunday morning. We're going to come to church. And so, you know, crawl out of the rack, we look into the mirror, and man, our, our, our hair is all gumby, you know, it looks like a rat's been sucking on it all night, it's all going this way over here, you know, we look into our eyes, and we got eye goobers that are in there, drool, crusted on the side of our mouth, real attractive, and we look at it, and we go in and start getting dressed, and we come in, the point you, you'd be saying is, no, wait, 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 now, why did you look into the mirror? Why did you even go through that whole little song and dance? If you weren't going to do anything about what you saw. And you see, what he's trying to get us to see is we can get to the place around here that we, we come into church and every Sunday, man, here it comes, the mirror of the Word of God. And we look into that thing, we see ourselves and go, my brain's. We're faced with ourselves. Make sure we get all the blanks filled in. Walk out the back to go live life just like a layout of seeing again. And, and, and the point that James is trying to get us to see is what is up with that? Why do you, why do you keep doing it? You see how deceptive this thing is? And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And if it's a rebuke to you, then, you know what? Praise the Lord. 
Learn from it and, and, and do it. And for those of you that it isn't a review, man, hey, be encouraged. Look at verse 25. And, and you know what? I, I really do. I, I'm, I know I'm the eternal optimist, but I, I think that this is most of us here in, in verse 25. I, I, I really do. And I'm going to continue believing it just so I keep my sanity. But, but look at verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. I love that, man. You know what that is? That's that perfect book that most of you are holding in your hands right now. You look into that perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He, he says, be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And listen, some of y'all, be encouraged by that, man. You're on the right track. I, I know you're probably not perfect yet. And, and you, there's probably a lot of areas in, in all of this where you're really struggling. But you know what? Some of you guys have put yourself in the place of blessing because you take the things that you're getting around here and you put them into your life and you, you did pray and, and you did labor this week to come before God and say, Oh God, I don't know that I understand all of this, but boy, I do understand that you're God and I ain't. And you are holy, and I ain't. And oh my, that I would find grace in your eyes that you would magnify me to make. Uh, and and, and I, I don't want, I, oh, I, I do not want to send the signal that I think that you know, last week's message was so incredible, I think you should have been able to regurgitate that outline before God in prayer every day. And if you didn't do that, then you aren't right with God, and you'll never be right with God. You missed your chance now, and that's all she wrote, baby. I mean, you're in trouble now. I, I, I'm not saying that. I, but I do want to just ask you, is the reason that some of you didn't come before God like that, is it because you were already so humble that you didn't need to do it? Or is it because you're so proud that you couldn't bring yourself to come before Him and do the Word? Now, now, some of you are probably saying, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm grabbing all this. And, and I do appreciate the way you, some of you folks are, are laboring. You know, I, I stand out there, you shake hands. I shake hands with you. And some of you are coming by and talking about, I think I'm getting it. I, I think the lights are coming on. And, and I, I, I realize that the area that we're talking about is so foreign to Laodiceans. Uh, you know what? I mean... Most churches are just happy if, you know, if they fill the pews, you know? I'm just telling you, y'all, Cleveland Browns, as lousy as they are, are going to fill a stadium today. You know, I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean jack. This, this whole thing is about becoming what he wants us to be. And guys, I'm just telling you, the reason I'm just going to keep pounding this thing and pounding this thing is because I want us to get it. But I know that because it's so foreign to our thinking that some of us are not quite understanding how this whole thing works because what we've talked about is that the life that is in us that we call eternal life, we have already passed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If you haven't, you're not saved. We, we, all, all of what we're talking about is already inside of us. 
It's just allowing the power of his death, burial, and resurrection to be released into the living of our lives. That's, that's what we're talking about. And, and the thing that gets difficult is because we're talking about the fact, now this isn't something that you do. This is something that you are, so be what you are, and you'll have what we've been talking about having. And, and, and it's, it's this deal to where it's almost like this little ethereal thing. And, and what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes here, and, and I want to try to give you a snapshot of what it is that we're, we're talking about, or how you actually incorporate all this that we're learning about humility and, and all of these things that we've been talking about, about denying yourself and taking up your, your, your cross and, and being crucified with Christ. How, how is it that this thing actually becomes a power that is working in me and getting out in, in my life? And what I want to do is I want to take just a, a few minutes to build a little platform here to show you where we'll be coming from on this. But if I was going to talk about, okay, we're talking about our death on the cross. And if we're going to die on the cross like Jesus died on the cross, we're going to have to humble ourselves. Now, how does that actually happen to where I'm going to experience his death? on the cross okay now now think in terms of your physical body obviously he's not talking about us physically dying on a cross but in terms of your physical body your your feet would, would represent in the spiritual realm or in a broader sense your feet would represent what they would it would represent your way right my way my feet would represent the the, the whole course and direction of my life my feet represent where I go David said in Psalm 119 and verse 59, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Okay, so get that in your mind. That's your feet, okay? In the spiritual realm, time to turn the sheet, y'all. Wake up. Okay? So that's my, my feet. Now, my, my arms and my hands would represent my work and my will, my strength or, or my, my, my flesh, my, my arms, my hands represent what I, I do. You see that? My work. And, and I, I'm, I'm motivated to do that work because of my will. God said in Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. David said in Psalm 28 and verse 4, Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Okay? So my feet is where I go. The, my way. My, my arms and my hands is my work, my, my will, the, the flesh. And of course my head would represent my mind, my thoughts, my desires. It represent what I think and how I think and why I do what I do and, and go where I go. Did you get all that? Okay, here it is. My mind represents, or my, my head represents my mind, my thoughts, my desires, what I think and how I think, why I do what I do and go where I go. And Daniel makes this connection of his head and his thoughts in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 5. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 tells us to get the helmet of salvation on your head. You know why? So you can think like somebody who's saved. It's the helmet of salvation. Okay? So, and okay, now I'm, I'm just giving you, 
just a, a little idea of how we might be able to take all of what we're learning and use it to come before God on a daily basis to Him in prayer, okay? And I don't know how, I, the reason it's just blank under this part on your study sheet is I didn't know exactly how to do this. I didn't want you to get caught up in, in little lines and, and all of that kind of a deal. Get what you can get. But, but I'm just going to I'm just going to take right now in a very practical kind of way all of this stuff that we've learned about humility and coming into His presence because of my sin and being humbled in His grace and and His sovereignty, His power, and all of that as the Creator of all things, and taking this desire that I have as His disciple to be conformed into His image and. And, and all of this, I, I want to I come before Him, and I want to humble myself, and I want to, to come into His presence and deny myself. I want to come into His presence and take up my cross. Now, an, an example of what this might, might look like, and, and you see the reason we're going through this? is because as Laodiceans, man, it's just hard for us to take abstract things and put them into practice. Okay, so grab what you can grab. You're coming before God. Let's say this is tomorrow morning, okay? I come before you this morning, Lord. And first of all, above everything, I submit to you and your cross my way. And spiritually, Lord, I willfully and purposely right now extend to you my feet to receive the nail that will crucify my way to you. And I choose today, not my way, I, I choose today the way of the cross. I, I cry out with David in Psalm 119 and verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. And, and not only my way, Lord, but I, I humbly submit to you all of my work and all of my will. And right now, spiritually, I, I willfully and purposely stretch out my arms. And Lord, I open my hands to, to receive the nails that will crucify the, the effort of self and everything that I do. I, I submit it and I open my hands to receive the nails that will attach me to your cross. And oh Lord, I, I cry out with Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. I, I know, Lord, that in me, that is in my flesh, I know, Lord, there's nothing in me. It dwells no good thing. And so I'm coming and seeking to crucify my flesh today. I, I confess what you taught me in, in John chapter 15 and verse 5 when you taught me that without you, I can do nothing. I cry out with you, with what you, you said in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Not my will. Thine be done. And oh Lord, not only, not only my feet, not only my arms, not only my hands, but oh Lord, I willfully and purposely, humbly, I, I bow to you, my head, to receive the crown of thorns that will crucify my thoughts and my motives to you. Oh Lord, may the whole thinking process behind what I, I do, 
and, and, and where I, I go, I bow that to you and may it be crucified to your cross. Again, I cry out with David in Psalm 119 and verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. So Lord, would you please help me today not to think according to my vain thoughts. Lord, help me today to think in terms of your word as the thorns of, of your crown crucify my thoughts. And Lord, as they do, I cry out with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 where he talked about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of you. And oh God, would you please today, as I bow myself before you and bow my head before you, would you help me to bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ? And oh Lord, this morning I bow to you my head in all that I am, in death, and all that I am, I commit into Your hands. Into Thy hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. And, O oh Lord, today, may, may my entire identity may it be found only in Your cross. My, my thoughts, my, my motives, my desires, my will, my work, my way, all that I am, Lord, I, I lay myself down upon your cross and I desire Lord the nails that will attach me to your cross and I desire Lord those nails that will attach the cross to me and Lord I no longer seek to escape it Lord the deepest desire in my heart is like what Paul talked about in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10 that I would bear in my body today the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in my body. And Lord, in death this morning, I seek to sink down into your grave, into absolute nothingness, in absolute total dependence upon you. That's my desire, Lord. You understand what I'm talking about? That's that. Now listen, that's just a little snapshot of what what it might be for us to practically humble ourselves before God and know the crucifixion of self. Now, now here's the danger. I'm gonna have to get that tape. I couldn't get everything that he said. You don't need to go out and memorize that little prayer. All, all I'm trying to do is just give you an idea because we're Laodiceans. And we're like, how does this, how does this happen? Listen, it's not like, you know, if, if, now, if you go out tomorrow and you say those words, the, this is like, you know, it's the spiritual magic dust that's just kind of sprinkled down inside of you into the death, burial, and resurrection. And once it meets there, boom, well, all of a sudden you know 
the spiritual intimacy and you know resurrection power and, and oh buddy, you know the, 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 the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. You know what? If it was that easy, somebody would have marketed a prayer like that a long time ago in Laodicea. It's not that easy, but I will tell you this. In some way, shape, or form, it's coming into the presence of God and humbling ourselves before Him in prayer and acknowledging the self-will of Laodicea that says, I want my way. I want my will. I'm going to do my work to please God in my flesh. And I'm going to think my thoughts, and I'm going to go about my life with my schedule, my time, my plan. There is going to be a place. I believe that we'll all come and we will surrender ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ in some kind of a prayer. Please do not go out and think, okay, I'm going to try to say those words. I'm going to say the magic formula. It's not that easy. That isn't the hard part. Okay, get it on your study sheet this way. The hard part isn't expressing humility before God. The hard part is exercising humility toward men. Exercising humility toward men. I want you to listen, y'all. Can, would you please listen real carefully? This is what is so deceptive about self. Listen. Self will allow you to express all kinds of incredibly humble words to God in prayer. And, and as you're doing it, man... I, some of you are envisioning yourself saying that before God and going, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, I like that, oh, oh. And, and you know what, you, some of us, it maybe even happened to you this week, you're talking before God and you're getting so humble before God, man, that you're feeling pretty good about your humility. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and oh, my, I'm crying now. Oh, whoo. Man, I don't know, if I get more, much more spiritual, I don't know if I can handle this, you know. But now listen, when God measures our humility, and, and I can't stress what I took five minutes to just pray. Some have probably freaked you all out, you know, doing, did, did it freak you out when I was doing that? And, and I, I listen, I, I, can't, I can't overemphasize the, the importance of, of us coming before God and pouring our hearts out to Him in, in prayer and in humility and in surrender of self. But listen, when God measures our humility, He doesn't do so based on all the things that we do and say and think when we're on our face before Him in prayer. Listen, He measures, he measures it on the humility that we carry with us after we get back on our feet and carry out toward the people He brings into our path in just the daily circumstances of life. And you know why I'm going through all this right now? 
Because what's going to happen here, if I just said, okay, now here's what I'm talking about practically. Here's how we come before God, and here's how we humble ourselves, and here's how we, we deny self, and here's how we take up our cross. Here's a, a, an example of a prayer like that. Because we're layout of scenes. Okay, let's market that thing, and let's get that thing all down, and let's start saying all those words. And everybody's going to have this nice little spiritual moment with God, and cry, and get all teary-eyed, and get back under the flow of life, and miss the fact that we've said all kinds of incredibly humble things before God, but when it comes to the people that I deal with on a daily basis, there's no humility expressed toward men. And you know what? You know what God thinks? God thinks that when we are not expressing and exercising humility toward men, God thinks that that whole thing that we said this morning was a big crock of baloney. But you see, Laodiceans, we like the thrill of feeling right with God. And we've concocted in our mind what it means to feel right with God. And buddy, do I feel right with God when I'm crying? And do I feel right with God when I'm humble? If you want to know if somebody's really humble, don't listen to them when they talk to God. Listen to them when they talk to men. That's when you're going to know whether or not somebody is really humble before God. You know how you really know when somebody's humble? Not when he's preaching. Don't, do not think that because I'm the one up here blowing and going this morning, ooh, I don't know what's going on with our pastor, but I believe he's humble now. I didn't think he was before, but I think he's humble now. Ooh, did you hear that prayer he prayed? Ooh. Don't, don't listen to somebody when they preach. Don't listen to somebody when they stand before Sunday school class. Don't listen to them when they know they've got an audience of people. Listen to them when... You know what? If you could get in their home and you could listen to him when he talks to his wife when nobody else is there. You're going to know whether or not he's really humble before God. You want to know if he's really humble? Listen to him when he talks to his kids when nobody else is around. Listen to him when he talks to the people at work when he knows that nobody else from the church is there. Listen to him on the basketball court and the things that he says. Listen to all the things that he says about the guy that he's behind in the car in front of him. You know how I know that? Because all week long, y'all, I'm wanting to be a doer of the Word. And all week long, man, every time I get in the car by myself, you know what I'm doing? Humbling myself before God. And I'm serious, man. As I'm praying about my nothingness before God, I'm going, ah! <laughs> but oh, I'm humble. I prayed. I said real wonderful things to God. And believe it or not, I'm not going to finish this message. But, and you know what? I wanted to in the worst way. Because what I was going to do, and we'll pick up here next week, but don't pack up on me just yet. Listen. What I'm going to do is going to just take us on a little journey to show us what God has to say 
about how we're really going to know that we're humble before him. Because it's wild. As he begins to write the instruction to the church, just go through them, man. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. If he, right on, you know what? Every one of them. God hits on this thing about the humility that we exercise toward people. And so, so now listen. Here, here's, here's what to do today to, to take everything that's gone on in here and, and, and take it out the door with you. Be a doer of the word this week, not a hearer only. Some of you probably were a little bit rebuked because you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that humble gig was pretty good last week. I can't believe I forgot about that. And, and, and now listen, guys, here's the deal. Okay, please listen real carefully. You're never going to know the abundant life without experiencing resurrection power. You'll never have resurrection power without dying. You'll never die, according to Philippians 2 and verse 8, until you humble yourself. And you really can never tell that you're really, truly humble unless you see it exercised toward men. So where we are as a church, if you're anything other than just a, a fixture around here, where we are is trying to experience this abundant life that he's talking about. And it begins way back here with just humbling ourselves. And, and, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you, if this isn't something that we as James 1.22 says, isn't something we do now. When do you think you'd ever do this? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is where we are as a church right now. This is important stuff that we're talking about. So be a doer this week. And I, and I challenge you to, to get way back here. And humble yourself before God. Re review those reasons and, and seek through every one of them this week to, to humble yourself before God. And you'll know that you're on your way by the humility that you express toward people. So let's be looking for that this week. And if you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior... We have not, in this message today, we've not addressed your specific need to receive Christ today. But you know what? Listen. We really have presented exactly what a person does when they come to Christ. Because you know what you've got to do? First thing. Humble yourself. I know that there's nothing I can do. I know I can't be good enough. I can't go to enough churches and can't get wet enough. I can't get catechized or homogenized or whatever else. I, I can't do anything. I, I know that there's no way that I can come into your presence with my sin. And I understand that you became a man so that you could take my sin and you paid for my sin on the cross and I'm trusting that and that alone. 
and I humble myself. I'm not bringing anything to the table other than my sin and asking you to save me. You know what? If you'll come to Christ like that, I promise you in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as soon as you open your heart and verbalize that to God by a prayer of faith, bam! He moves inside your dead spirit and brings to you eternal life. And that can be yours today. You can walk out of here today knowing that you have a relationship with the God of the universe because your sin has been removed through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's our invitation to you today. I want you to contemplate what God's doing in your life right now. Consider, am I willing today to humble myself before the God of the universe that I might receive the eternal life that He died to provide for me on the cross? In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. We're going to conclude. Our pastors are going to be on either side of the front of this room. And it's our invitation to you as the service is concluded. If God is working in your heart and stirred in your heart to receive Him today, we invite you to come and talk to one of our pastors. They'll have somebody that will take a Bible and not share with you what this church believes, but show you from the Word of God today how you can become a child of God and be born into His family. We'd love the opportunity of doing that. If you're a woman, we'll get a woman to, to meet with you individually and, 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 and privately and, and talk to you. If you're a man, we'll, get, we'll have a man that will talk with you. But if God is doing something in your life today, we invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And for all of the rest of us, that do know the Lord. This is a time right now for us to still our hearts. And I'd like to invite you now, if you would, to bow your heads together. Everybody, those of you that have never been saved, if you would just contemplate the things that God is saying to you in, in your heart this morning. For those of us that are, would you right now yield yourself to God? to be a doer of the Word, to be a doer of the things that he, He's doing in, in this local body of believers. And right now, why don't, you just, why don't you just talk to God about the week that's before you, should He grant it? Why don't you just talk to Him about the desire that you have to be what He is humble. And right now, why don't you purpose in your heart some things about the time that you'll spend with the Lord every day, coming before Him, seeking to do what He did that led to His death, humbling yourself. Why don't you take a moment to talk to God about that? And, Lord, first of all, I want to ask that the people that are here this morning that don't know You, Lord, I, I believe wholeheartedly that it is through the foolishness of preaching that You've chosen to save people. And Lord, even now, I pray that You would take the Word of God and by Your Spirit, I pray You would convict people of their sin, of your righteousness and of the in inevitable judgment 
that will come upon those that enter eternity without your righteousness and still living in their sin. I pray even now you would reprove them, convict them of that and, and draw people to yourself today. And oh Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be doers of the Word. Lord, we thank you for the, the things that you're allowing our blind Laodiceaan eyes to begin to, to see about what abundant life is, is really all about. We, we realize that we, we've just got a little pinhole that we're looking through to, to see into this and we're asking you, Lord, like David prayed, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, anoint our eyes with eye salve that we may see the way that you see. And Lord, as your disciples, we submit ourselves to you and desire to be conformed into your image and thank you for that promise. But oh Lord, I pray that through our submission we would allow you to do that conforming in us on a daily basis basis and an hourly basis even a moment by moment and second by second basis help us to live with that kind of reality of you we submit ourselves to you as a church and ask you Lord that, that you would come into our midst we no longer want you to be standing at the door knocking. We desire Your presence in this place. We desire that You would be Lord in, in this place. And I pray that how we respond to Your Word this week would show You the sincerity of our, of our surrender. So, Lord, do in us individually and corporately what needs to be done to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.